Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hey, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled, uh, another episode. And this time I'm meeting... Craig Archibald, who has the most fantastic voice. I'm not going to let him say anything yet, but just let me trail this. It's a voice of someone who you can imagine doing a gra- gravelly sort of very manually butch sort of um, voiceover. Craig, am I right? Why, thank you so much. <laughs> no, that's silly. I just put that on. No, I don't usually talk in that place, but it, it is morning here in Los Angeles. So it's a little it's a little early. I haven't gotten my higher register working yet, but thank you, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great voice. Oh, so you've answered my first question, which is where in the world are you? And you seem to be in LA. So tell me. Yes. It's in the middle of the morning there, is it? Sunny California. Yeah, 10 a.m. here. So we're just getting going. I've just come back from sunny California and it wasn't that sunny. So no, no, sometimes it isn't that marine layer can come in off the ocean and it surprises a lot of people that come here for sunny vacations. Um, The best time of the year to come here is uh, for that sunny vacation. That classic California time is September, October, August, September, October is the best time. If you want that really brilliant, sunny, warm, you know, beautiful California life. That's, that's when to have it. I'll see you then. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So, Craig, tell us a bit about yourself and what it is that you do. Well, I'm an acting coach in Los Angeles. I work with a lot of actors from the movie stars to the beginners. And uh, I began as an actor myself. I grew up in Canada, in Western Canada, in a great little city called Saskatoon. And I fell into the theater fairly early in my life, uh, 11 years old. And I worked like crazy and turned into a professional at 15. And... uh, myself through college with the money that I made from acting, which is um, a lot of fun. My parents were definitely happy about that. And all of my uh, professors were expat Brits. And so at the end of my college degree, they uh, got together and said that I should come to London and study in England for two years. So I did. I came to London. I got a job at the Royal National Theatre and I uh, studied in the mornings uh, with all of the great teachers from RADA and Weber Douglas and the Guildhall. I had a great um, British education. And then after that, I uh, moved on to New York City to go to the Neighborhood Playhouse, where I studied the American or what, what is called also the Russian a method of acting, the Stanislavski yes. approach to acting. Yeah. And in the 80s, when I studied in London, it wasn't really um, celebrated that much by the British. Um, I remember Maggie Smith called it 
masturbating. Thank you very much, Maggie Smith. Um, but uh, in the 90s, somehow the Brits got, on, got in, in contact with it and found that it was actually worthwhile to study the, the method. And we've seen the results of a lot of really great young British actors coming up, like young Josh O'Connor, who I really think is terrific, and people like Tom Hardy and Benedict Cumberbatch. These guys all, all came out of um, a study of the method. And so their work is just a little bit different from the older uh, British guys. Um, and so, yes, I studied the method in New York, and then I started my career in New York and worked as an actor in New York for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And along the way, found out that I had different sets of skills. Uh, I also write and I produce, and I also coach actors. So when I went through a, a major life change in my mid forties, I moved from Manhattan to Malibu, and that was a shift. And a really lovely shift, as a matter of fact, but I still love Manhattan and miss it. But Malibu is a beautiful place. And, and it was great to sort of get perspective on my life. And I decided that I'd put most of my attention into coaching. And so I started the West Coast version of my studio. I had a, an East Coast version and it just blossomed over the last 12 years, 15 years. It's been just a delightful place to be. And I've been able to get a lot of young artists on the road to careers. And I've also been able to help a lot of people up higher in the industry, sort of get basics and, and, and groundedness underneath them. So it can be very distracting Hollywood and it can be very ego driven. And I think that the problem with that is that um, you're always gonna be disappointed because your ego will always find reasons for failure. And, and turning that around and making that a positive is part of what I do as a, as a coach. And mentoring people into the industry so that they're wise about it before they get slapped in the face with, there's so much judgment and there's so much, um, particularly in this day of social media, uh, there's so much judgment and the, the capacity for people to say nasty things to people mm. is so much more prevalent than it used to be. And so artists and musicians and athletes and people that are in the public eye have to be able to take all of those negative comments if they look at them and be able to turn them around and at least use what they can learn from them and then let them go. It's a very difficult challenge. Wow. And you said all of that without breathing. So you know, that's the testament to diaphragmatic <laughs> breathing, if anybody ever wants to know. Um, fantastic. Like, give me so much to uh, unpack there at first, if you don't mind, Craig. So Sure, um, absolutely. Uh, you, you made an interesting comment, which is something I've never really heard. Um, you actually made money from acting. Uh, because often a lot of time um, acting is, is a synonym for being a waiter, isn't it? Um, or a waiter. Well, I was, a, I, I was a waiter and a bartender in New York for many yeah. of those years, but it was yeah. on and off as it yeah. went. You now, I, I have a view, because uh, I'm a, an ex-professional musician, and I have a view that actors and musicians and anyone who's worked in the theatre tradition rather than, tele, rather than movies or has, has to learn this idea of being able to do something day in, day out, day in, day out, especially if you actually have work. So I was in a West End show, and whether you wanted to, you didn't want to, whether you were drunk or sober, whether you were well or not well, you still have to turn up, you still have to perform. And that teaches you a certain sort of resilience, doesn't it? That ability to, to, um, to be, to weather the storms, to sort of manage your performance, to always to give what needs to be given, which means that you're not necessarily always giving 100%, but it always means that you're being good enough. So it gets rid of this idea of perfectionism a little bit. I just wondered what yeah. you thought. Absolutely. I think that that's a great thing to say, Russell. I think that that's something that a lot of people don't talk about, but it's the truth. You know, I, I always tell my clients, aim to be above 95% every time. 
So really true professionals are disciplined enough to be able to be above 95%, yeah. right? And that goes for athletes too, and, and musicians, like you said, uh, but, but like even athletes, they're aiming to be the best that they can be on the day and to do everything they can to be, but also to allow themselves that little bit of room to be human and to be vulnerable and to be able to weather a storm, like you said, whatever the storm is going on, because there's always going to be a storm. Yeah. And on the days that there aren't storms, you should smile and enjoy them very much because there are going to be days where there's storms. And even on the days where there's storms, we wanna be at that top 95 and above percentage. And I think that's where true professionalism lives is somewhere up in that high level, that yes. discipline and focus and the ability to maintain a performance that even though the audience might know might not know that you're at 99, they might might not know that you know they might not know where you are on that sliding scale. They still receive the very best that you can give them at that time. And, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because you're at 99 and 95 because you're skilled and comfortable and right. confident, not because right. you have this inner drive to be a perfectionist. Where even if you're at 90, 93, 95, you see that as a failure rather than actually as a collaborative effort to achieve the goal. And I think if right. you look at um, people in the corporate sector working in call centers or selling cars or whatever it might be, no one's at 100%. You know, you need to, you need to have something in reserve because you need to be able to, to actually spin or adapt or to be able to do what needs to be done. Um, I'm also interested in your view about British actors because I've always, I've always had a view, I mean, spent quite a bit of time out in the States just recently and, you know, watching television and, actors are hired for their individual persona who they are it seems to me whereas mm -hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch plays many different roles actually most most of the roles that Mark Wahlberg has played for example he's just played himself mm -hmm. so it's, it seems that and, and, uh, especially in the tv tv settings like um uh, you see the woman who was in um the big bang theory is um one of the mothers who was in Roseanne I can't remember her name and you see Patricia Hadley who's from um uh, Raymond everyone loves Raymond they're hired to be themselves all the time and I also find that quite interesting and that that might be my perception totally wrong but I, I do see the difference between the two theatrical schools and I wonder if that is something to do with Stanislavski where you play a role different to the yourself rather than mining yourself uh, as American actors seem to do. But that might be total baloney. I just wondered what you thought. I think that's a great question, Russell. And I think that's something that a lot of people question, right? Because they see the different performances that artists do. The idea that, that uh, Stanislavski had, and, and, and he had a lot of great ideas and was a master mastermind. My great teacher, Sanford Meisner, who created the Meisner Technique in New York City, he said this, that acting is living truthfully under the imaginary circumstances. And that is a great description of what we do as actors. We live truthfully under the imaginary circumstances. So the first step is to take what, what are the imaginary circumstances? Now, if the imaginary circumstances happen to be that I'm playing a 50 something man that lives in Los Angeles and looks something like me and talks something like me, then that's the imaginary circumstances are the given circumstances that are very close to myself. Yeah. So you'll, you'll sometimes get roles that are very close to who you actually are. Mm. Now, when you don't get a role like that and, and you're, a, you're a wonderful actor and you can do uh, the deeper character work and you've gone to school and you know how to address um, getting into character and, and being good at, at doing that, then you have the, the wherewithal to be able to go in and create a character, change the voice, change the hair color, change the accent, change the stature. You know, Gary Oldman, 
is just a master at this. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of Gary's. I think that he uses Gary when he needs to, and he creates other layers to characters when he doesn't. Yeah. And so he crosses that line. He skis back and forth over this, what we're talking about, because some of his performances are very close to who Gary is, I'm sure. And then other of his performances are another character. And, and so that it really comes down to the individual given circumstances of the character, which is why some actors are more comfortable playing something closer to themselves. And some actors are more comfortable going diving into the deep end of being and creating a character. And it really just depends on the individual actor. I don't think it even depends on the school that they go to. I think it's just the individual and how they see it. Now, television, whether you're on the either side of the Atlantic or Pacific, television is a different game. Yeah. You know, television moves very quickly. And so it's easier to be using your basic personality to be in front of that camera Monday through Friday from sunup to late, late at night, right? To be able to use yourself yeah. in the basics of the character. Now that said, you know, all these characters, usually actors love playing something other than themselves. So they find a way to put a little something different in them, in their uh, perspective, an attitude, a character's point of view that is fun for them to play so that they're not just playing themselves. Yeah. But on television, whether you're in the UK or in, in, in Canada or, or the US, wherever you are, television is a, is a very difficult job and it's full time and it's intense and there's lots of uh, pressure and changing of scripts and all sorts of things happen on a television set that are very pressure filled and so actors tend to be a little bit more protected and simple and straightforward with their work so that they can adapt to those big changes as they go through the days and not be thrown off and not be having to recreate, recreate, recreate. Yes. Now you, you get great performances like, um, you know, um, Peter Falk as Columbo, yes. right? That went on forever and, and had a great time. Now that wasn't all Peter Falk. He was having a great time playing Columbo. Angela Lansbury in, in Murder, she wrote. You know, she was playing a sort of form of Angela, but she was having fun being the character all the time too. So there's that balance that we do between the two. Yeah, that's interesting. So um, this is not something I suggested I was going to ask you. I just want your view on this. There's a, there's a um, especially as an actor, an acting coach, um, there's a, in leadership terms and uh, in human behavior and such like, there's a great, great drive for what we term authenticity. Now I have some quite strong views about authenticity uh, and I just wondered how actors think about authenticity. Wow, I'm, my first question is, I, I want to hear what you think, Russell. That's fascinating. Because you're, you're the guest, you see. So I know, that's you, the problem. You get to go first. I have to have you back on my podcast. <laughs> well, um, uh, <laughs> you talk to my people. As they say. I, I don't have one yet, but, but I'll put you on the list when I do. <laughs> um, yeah, I think authenticity, I mean, it's the key to everything, isn't it? I mean being your authentic self is what we work from as actors. And so we, we, we train ourselves to listen to our organic, authentic selves. To be in integrity with yourself is one of the most important things in life, let alone in the work that you do or the family that you love or the friends that you have or the job that you have, right? So integrity, self-integrity and authenticity, um, they go a long way. So what we do as actors is, we give our authenticity 
depending on the character's authenticity. So you, you can be playing, you can be playing someone that isn't authentic, right? Yes. So then you have to go by the given circumstances. Again, whatever the script gives us, we have to live truthfully inside of those given circumstances. But even within there, we can find ways to be, find where the character is authentic or where they're not. Um, you know, the, the, the classic question that we ask is, what is, what, is, what is in my way? What is my obstacle in this scene? And, and when we ask that, you know, the obstacle could be my parents don't want me to be out or the obstacle could be my wife could catch me or my obstacle could be I'm getting away with murder or my obstacle could be my boss is going to catch on to me pretty soon. So what you do, what one does when they're faced with an obstacle gives the audience that character's moral code. Right, the moral code is given by the action a character takes. So therefore, as actors, if we ask that question, what's my obstacle in the scene? And what do I do as a character to get around that obstacle? That gives me the moral compass of that character. And therefore I have to be that character and I use that moral compass. I authentically use myself to fill up that moral compass at whatever level it is. So therefore I can play a horrible person. I can play a bad guy or I can play an innocent or a very kind person using my authentic horribleness or kindness. So does that mean theoretically, I mean, this is more philosophy than anything else in psychology perhaps, but is it possible for an actor to lose their true self in the character or, or in, the, in the authenticity of the role? Can actors actually stop understanding who they are themselves? I think that's pretty hard. You'd have to be going pretty hardcore. I do think that there is work that we do that can be slightly dangerous on this level, yeah. which is a, a sort of sliding psychological um, level of commitment to the character. Yeah. So we all know the famous stories of actors that have gone too far. And they've gone into a character and it's turned out to actually damage them. It's been painful for them. And they've had to recover psychologically from it. Probably most famously Heath Ledger, who were all very sad and devastated by the loss of Heath because he was such a beautiful talent. Um, but, you know, Heath, Heath did the Joker and did a beautiful Oscar winning performance. And it was, it, was a, it was a total performance that we all respect very much. Did he go too far? Maybe. Um, there, there is that question. You know, I think every actor has to learn themselves individually. They have to know their boundaries and they have to be careful to set those boundaries. Under my experience, most actors that are, are in character for most of the, the, the day, and people may wonder why actors do that. Why do they stay in character during the day? Why does Meryl Streep keep talking in the accent when the camera is not rolling? Well, I had the pleasure of working with Philip Seymour Hoffman in a movie called Capote. And Phil stayed in character all day. At lunch, he would drop out. And then at the end of the day, he would let go of uh, Truman. But he won the Academy Award for Best Actor that year. Mm -hmm. And it was a complete performance, it, a completely beautiful transformation from who Phil Seymour Hoffman was to the role of Truman Capote, who was such a, a, an amazing character. And Phil kept that accent on all day. And he was doing that because he did not want to get caught acting when the camera rolled. Yes. 
He never wanted the camera to see him being Phil, just like Meryl Streep never wanted to be seen as, as anything but Margaret Thatcher when she played the Iron Lady, mm-hmm. right? These great artists playing these roles. I mean, the entire cast of The Crown is having a fantastic time being in the character of the, of, of the royal family. Mm-hmm. And they're all having a great time doing it. Now, how much they're holding on to it during you know offset, I'm not sure. But they're at least giving us full commitment to the characters that they're playing. Can you go too far? Has it happened in the past? Yes. Um, I, you know, hopefully actors would have enough of a family uh, uh, support system or a uh, manager, agent, um, mentor, acting coach sort of situation. And I stay with my, with my clients all the time while they're shooting. And, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, they can let it go and go home and rest and, and, and do something different for the evening and, and then come back to work the next day. This Um, idea, sorry to jump in, this idea of boundaries therefore becomes very important, isn't it? It's something we learn in therapy, the uh, you have to have empathy for the character, I'm guessing, and the situation and, and the context you're acting. But you've got to have that boundary of knowing where you start and the, and the character stops and stops. Um, Absolutely. Now, Absolutely. I, wonder, I wonder, therefore, and this may be a, a, a leap that's unintended, but I wonder when you're dealing with rejection, because actors, musicians, salespeople, we really deal with rejection, don't we? People say yeah. no to us. And it's, and it's pretty brutal. You know, and sometimes it's because of you or because of one rather than the product. So I wonder if boundaries are part of the dealing with rejection. Well, that's a great, uh, great point, Russell. And and, and I love that. In fact, I want to write it down. You know, boundaries are essential, right, across the line in your life as to, and and boundaries with yourself as well, like your inner voice that happens that usually after uh, rejection it's yourself that hurts yourself more than the actual rejection, yeah. right? The actual rejection can be quite small, but what you do with that re- rejection, the, the whirlwind you go on, the negative voices that come out that we all have are going to come, come out and, and, and you know, really take you away. I recommend um, you know, uh, doing things and taking uh, daily practices like meditation, um, or working out, uh, physical activity, uh, those kind of positive self-care uh, focuses that you can take really do make a difference. So if right. you practice practice meditation or you have a, 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 work, a workout that you do every evening, a long walk after dinner where you just clear the cobwebs and, and breathe the air and look at the, the sky and, and, and the trees and, and get back to nature a little bit and talk to your loved one or, or get on a phone or listen to some music and, and getting, you know, into your own world again, right? Having that, that, it's a discipline, right? And hopefully it's a discipline that one is taught through their training, whether they are a salesperson or not. Now, rejection is something that we deal with all the time here. And I, I have a couple of different perspectives I put on it. One is I tell my clients, if you're being rejected, that's a good thing. Why? Because it means that you're actually auditioning. And you're not just sitting around waiting for your agent or a manager to call, right? So if if you are being rejected at whatever level, that's a good thing. It means that you're actively pursuing your career. So if you're actively pursuing, that's a win. Right. And, and we all have to be rejected. Right. I think back in New York, my 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 booking rate was one out of every 20 auditions I I would book, you know, and I, it's not too bad. And, and, and there are, you know, some actors, I know that it's one in every 50. So, you know, you just have to get out there and get rejected then, right? But in the rejection, you're not just being rejected. You are, you're meeting each casting office. 
yeah. right? So I'm talking about actors here specifically, um, you know, and going into that casting office and proving to them every time that you are a quality artist, that you do your homework, that you get off book, you get into the moment and you connect with the other actor and you're truthful and you're actually a good actor. You might not be right for this project because you're too tall or too small or too whatever you are. You might not get it, but if you can win the room, then you're going to have an acting career because you're going to, it's going to, it's going to be something they're going to call you back because they can trust that you are good quality. I think the same thing in sales. I think, you know, friends of mine that are in real estate will get referred to other people because they'll say, Hey, Maggie is a great realtor call her she knows her she knows what's going on you know so they'll they'll, they'll call and get, pass that name along even if they didn't buy with that person they met that person and said this person is, is a person of integrity and i trust them and i think they know what they're doing yes. and that goes for salespeople too and now we're back to being in integrity with yourself being authentic right a phony salesperson, a person that sells too hard, too much, pushes too much, is someone that you don't want to talk to anymore. Yeah. But someone that helps you through a situation, you, you know, you could go through, you know, a, a home renovation, and you find some a home store where there's somebody that really knows what they're talking about. Well, guess who you're going to go back to the next time you do a home renovation? right? That kind person that shared a lot of their information without being a know-it-all, but being totally professional and knowing what they were doing. So there's a resilience that we have to have to come back from rejection. And if you make a crisis management plan, right? If you, if you actually plan for crisis, whatever career or wherever you are in life, if you make a crisis management plan, you're going to be ahead of the game. Yeah. If you don't make a crisis management plan, you're going to be shocked every time that there's a crisis. Yeah. But my clients have a crisis management plan in place. So whatever, whatever happens, they know what to do with it. You know, we get hit by arrows all day long right? Arrows are coming in and hitting us. And sometimes it's a small arrow. It's, it's, we dropped our phone and cracked the case. You know, sometimes it's a larger arrow that you have to take time to get over the loss of a family member or a major life change it may take a couple months or, or a year to get over, but, you know, dropping of the, of the um, phone on the, on the floor shouldn't be too big a deal, but sometimes that dropping the, the phone on the floor can be the thing that puts you over the edge yeah. of what you can handle. Right. And having the resilience and the know-how of how to come back from those moments. That's all in crisis management. So if yeah. you pre-think a crisis, if you say to yourself, this kind of crisis, here's what I'm gonna do. Here's, the, here's, here's my response to this kind of crisis. And to give yourself the space and time to feel your feelings before you respond is part of the, maybe the first step in a crisis management that's really smart is say, take your time, whether it's five or 10 minutes to just remove yourself from the situation so you can clear your emotions and your ego and you can get back to your authentic self so that you respond in a way that you are proud of. Yeah. And that, you, you know, you react in, in a smart way. Yeah, that's um, a great, that's a great tip. I mean, understanding the worst that can possibly happen is, is, is really important, isn't it? And you're, you're absolutely spot on there. Uh, and actually, that's one of the things you refer back to when you are rejected, because actually you've already thought through the worst that can happen. And you know, it's right. not the end. Because right. that's the point. It's not, and your, your, your point's right about Rejection is only a problem if you don't learn from it and, and, and don't take accountability or you're blaming the fact that everybody else did this or had a better take or, you know, they wanted a different accent or blah, 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 blah. Sometimes you've got to take ownership and, and, and you have to be yourself, don't you? You've got to say, this is who I am and this is how it works. 
And I think sometimes, and the thing thing is, when you deal with personas on a regular basis in acting, you understand the ability to put one on and take it off. Whereas I think if you're not acting, or if you're not in the performing arts, you don't really understand the significance of that. And people talk in psychological terms about personas. And I was listening to Jordan Peterson saying, we have to work to get through them. Uh, And he he has a life of unimaginable suffering because of this. And it's it's like, you know, personas are handy things to have, aren't they? They're, They're useful. And actors, yes. of, as much as anybody else, should be really skilled at not, not just pretending to be something, but inhabiting a different persona. Absolutely. We don't pretend, right? We, we inhabit it. Absolutely. And that goes for different levels of things. You know, actors are asked to be on red carpets as well, right? And so the red carpet is a really difficult situation, actually, for actors. It's not fun. It's work. Right. And it looks like it's this glamorous moment, but it's actually not. No, it's, it's, a vi- not. It, it's really hard work. Yeah. And, and, and it's not people look at that as, oh, I can't wait to be on a red carpet. Well, after you've done three or four, you won't feel that way. You know? And I guess it must be tricky if you're a serious actor, because actually what you're having to do on a red carpet is to be uh, lively, imaginative, able to quip, you know, to be entertaining. And it's not necessarily your bag, is it? It's a different skill set. Absolutely. It is it's a different skill set. And then also you want to be authentic and you want to uh, promote the product that you're there for. And you also want to stay sane yourself. You don't want to be in a situation where you're jumping through too many loops to be something other than yourself. You want to be authentic in that moment so that it doesn't come across as phony or silly yes. because that then it's a whole other mess. So you have to stay authentic, but you also have to be sharp and be in the moment and, and be able to take a joke or give a joke as is necessary or take something seriously or give something, you know, it's all being in the moment and being alive to it. And it, there's definitely a skill set to it, Yeah. Uh, and, but it's not easy. You see, I think authenticity is just a persona person. So that's the conversation we have at the time. So um, mm. I, I, it's time we really need to find out more about you and how we get in touch with you. Tell us about where people can find more about all of your work. Because you've got a fascinating website and you've got something on your website I've never seen before. So tell people how they can get in touch with you, Craig. Uh, the website is thearchbaldstudio.com. And that's A-R-C-H-I-B-A-L-D, thearchbaldstudio.com. And it's talking about the studio and such like and how you work and how you coach. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, there's there's all kinds of information on there. A lot of my celebrities have been kind enough to give me some some nice remarks on there. And then shameless can... name dropping, I have to say shameless, but <laughs> brilliant as well. Highly admirable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Shameless. Yes, that's, that's good. I like it. I'll take it. Yeah. Hey, sure. hey, you know, in the business I'm in, you have to yeah. say, you, you have to say, here's my people. Here's who I've worked with. Yeah, absolutely. Now, tell us about sides, because sides, I think, is really interesting. Um, well, the sides are um, just is a library of scenes basically, right? So that's what, it's a library of scenes. This is for my actors um, and it's free for anybody if I, whoever wants to come onto my website, there's no, you know, there's no library fee. Um, we've just put up these sides over the years, mostly from really good pilot seasons um, where, where um, you know, shows are on the air and uh, we get these scripts. And so I've, I've chosen the scripts to put into the sides library. And it's a place that my clients can go and get a script to work on if they want to bring it to class. And some of them are good scripts and some of them are horrible. I've put in, um, uh, you know, so there's always a challenge, right? So what do you do when you get a terrible, terrible script? What do you do to make that come to life? Because writing, do- good writing does make a very big difference in the work that we do. So 
we tried to put, I, I would say 90% of the sides in there are good writing and 10% are horrible, but that's on purpose. Yeah, and, and I think it's it's fascinating because you you get you get to see how much, and, and, and you often see this uh, on YouTube or TikTok or thing, you know, you see the actual script and then you see it being performed and you see the difference right. between the, um, almost like the bones or the skeleton and then the fully fledged body, you know, what, what people bring to that part. And I know it's, you know, partly the actor, partly the director, but um, it is interesting how a different person can uh, interpret exactly the same scenes in two different ways. So they almost have different meanings. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the direction um, thing is very interesting. In, in the world of the theater, I think that the actor-director relationship is a lot more uh, intense and complicated and malleable. There's a lot more in there. There's more, a lot more time to be able to put into um, not only that relationship, but but the uh, director's take on the character and the character's take, uh, the actor's take on the character. In the, our world of film and television out here in, in Los Angeles, there's far less time to work with a director because the directors have so much going on. The directors have so many different departments that they're running that really in, in, in the world of film and television, when you're hired to be an actor, they're hiring you to do the job. Yeah. And so really there's a lot of freedom for you to go in and, and create um, what you want to create. And then yes, an, a, an executive producer or showrunner or director will give you a note uh, and maybe you might get a couple of meetings. Let's hope that you get a couple of meetings before you shoot. Um, but that's not a guarantee. I know a lot of actors that never met the director until the day they got on the set. And a lot of directors don't say anything to the actor because that's what you've been hired to do is come and do your job. So we don't need to talk an actor through how to play this part in film and television. You basically bring what you did from, from the audition. If you got the part, if they liked what you did, continue in that way and bring that work in. Yeah. Whereas in the theater, there can be a lot of extensive, beautiful weeks of work, which is really um, a luxury. But um, what is not a luxury is the theater salaries. So yeah. it's, a, it's a give and take. Well, it's like uh, the musical world, which is that the, the most commercialized things which have, a, have the highest salary. And then it's things like doing a little piece of string quartet work somewhere with no salary, but all the artistic integrity and such like. So exactly. I, I'm, I just looked at the time and recognized that I'm taking far too much of your time up and I, I, we must move on. Um, it's been fascinating to talk to you all day. So the, the way to get hold of uh, our friend Craig Archibald is to have a look at the archibaldstudio.com. It's a really fascinating um, um, site there's all sorts of interesting things and for anybody interested in fame and glamour and the acting world i mean it's it's a really interesting place to start thank you for your time today great well thank you so much russell it's a pleasure to meet you brilliant you take care thank you hi everybody i hope you found that episode useful and interesting feedback is always welcomed and if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on itunes or stitcher that would be amazing if you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com, then search for Resilience Unraveled. 
I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.